Christmas. I've had several people ask us, have the bakers already opened their Christmas gifts? And I don't know how we've been able to do it. We have, we have stayed it off. This, I think this is a record for us. This is the latest we've ever opened. So uh, some of you know that we, we usually do like two or three weeks in advance. Usually like we would buy the presents and like give them that day. We just aren't able to. So somehow we've been able to hold out, but I think we're going to do it this afternoon. So anyway, those of you who are concerned, and how many of you have already seen Star Wars? Can you believe Yoda had a daughter? I'm just kidding. I just, that's, that's a fake spoiler alert. I'm not going to give anything away. <laughs> it's so mean. All right. Well, let's talk about Jesus. Yeah. So I want to make things simple for us today. Well, hopefully we do that every week. This isn't a, a unique thing that we're making. It's simple today only. But uh, we've been talking the past few weeks about how the point of the Bible is to meet the author about how the point of the Bible, uh, reading Bible stories are to have those kind of Bible experiences, right? Every verse of Scripture is an invitation to an encounter, and how Jesus is called the living word, and you meet the living word in the written word. So it's not to equip you to do well in trivial pursuit. That's not why we read the Bible. It's not so that you can argue with people who think differently than you on Facebook, right? Some people need to really hear this message right now. Um, so today I want to kind of continue this theme, but I want to just start off with this promise. Whatever your need is today whether it's physical, financial, mental, relational, uh, spiritual, your solution is found in a greater revelation of Jesus. You're like, Jim, it just can't be that simple. It actually is. Because when you see what he's done, you now know what you have access to because you're a joint heir with Jesus, which means everything that belongs to him is now available to you. I didn't say you needed to learn more facts about Jesus, but a revelation, an unveiling by the Holy Spirit of what Jesus is really like. When Jesus is unveiled, here's what happens. The poor prosper. The weak will be made strong. The sick are made well. I love Luke chapter 4. Jesus, he's, he's reading a scripture from the Old Testament, and he's pointing out that it talks about him here. Okay? He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Jesus was anointed to preach good news to you. So whenever Jesus is preached, good news is proclaimed over your life. Over your finances, over your marriage. I want you to see this. When you're hearing the good news of Jesus, it's like he's preaching and he's proclaiming and making a declaration over your life about what's available to you. So turn with me to Luke 24. I love this story. So let me set the context for Luke 24. Um, this is the day of Jesus' resurrection. So we would call it uh, Easter Sunday. Okay, so it's the day of the resurrection. Jesus appeared to some women at the tomb and they are all excited and they run and they tell the, the apostles that uh, Jesus has risen from the dead, and they don't believe him. Like, ah, you women, you don't know what you're talking about, right? So great, great men of faith there. There we go. So we're picking up the story. <clears throat> They've gotten the reports. They don't believe it. Uh, verse 13. That very day, two of them, so these are two of the 12 apostles. We're not told who they are. So two of the 12 apostles, they were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So, I mean, you know, the resurrection, you know, the crucifixion, they're just, you know, in a whirlwind. They've just had three and a half years with Jesus. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I want you to see this. So Jesus is in his resurrection form. They're talking to Jesus. They don't even know it's him. Jesus is so sneaky sometimes. I just love this. He's about to go in Columbo mode. I love it. Jesus is like playing dumb here. I just love this. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? I mean, <laughs> whatever could you be talking about? 
I just love it. Just, I don't know. Just, I think that's where Columbo got it from. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Verse 20, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I want you to see that they didn't believe, they just hoped. Uh, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They astonished us. They said things that we couldn't even believe. I want you guys to see the state that they're in here. They're not believing. They'd seen all this stuff. It wasn't enough for them to have an experience. Point's coming. <clears throat> and when they, uh, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, they, that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him there. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking now, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I'm going to hit the pause button here. We're going to look at this in a second. But it's interesting. I believe these are two indictments that Jesus is making about the church today. The first one is that they're foolish. It means that we're suffering from ignorance about, uh, about the knowledge and the revelation of the word of God. I mean, I, we've been going over this the last couple of weeks, but I think this is one of the greatest dangers for charismatic churches is that we're big on experience, but it's like a, a high-flying kite that's not anchored to the earth. You know, it's just, you know, man, you're having all this amazing stuff, but there's no anchor point for it. And I, I say it like this, I don't care how high you jump, how straight are you going to walk after the encounter? Okay? And that what anchors us in that is seeing Jesus in the Bible. Okay? I mean, guys, you can be talked out of a goosebump, you can be talked out of a vision, you can be talked out of a, uh, just about any encounter. You could figure yourself that you made it up. But when you see it in the Word of God, you know. And when your experiences are rooted in those things that are in the Word of God, now nobody can talk you out of them. The second indictment, he says, even if you do have knowledge of the Word, he says, you are slow of heart to believe. Jesus is saying that, um, I, I love this, because Jesus doesn't just give them the problem without the solution. Okay, so he makes this indictment, but he's so loving. He says, listen, let me tell you how to fix this. Okay, um, very next verse there, verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, ready for this, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Here's these guys, they're slow of heart, they're, they're, not, they're not getting it, they're foolish, they're ignorant of these things, even though they've been studying the Bible their whole lives. What was his solution? His solution was for them to see Jesus in the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is about to do the Bible study of a lifetime here with these guys. So you're on this seven-mile walk. I don't know if those guys, if I were them, I'd be like walking a lot slower. Like Jesus, he, he's, here's what he does. He starts at Moses, which refers to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he goes through the whole rest of the Bible and shows how every single part of it points to him. Jesus is telling us how to read the Old Testament. Listen to, uh, I love the verse 27 in the Passion Translation. Then Jesus carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the Scripture. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about him. Jesus is saying, there's pictures of him on every page of Scripture. Guys, that's, that's Bible study, the way that Jesus did it. Not just looking for principles. There, there's those things in there as well. But they point to Jesus. I had a seminary professor that used to say this. Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. 
Guys, there's no insignificant details in the Old Testament. They all actually point to Jesus. So you can imagine their reaction when Jesus starts in Genesis and they find out that he was the promised seed who would grow up and crush the head of the serpent. You can imagine when they, the story of Abraham sacrificing his son and he was saying it was getting a picture of the father delivering a lamb to save the father's son. I mean, you, you can just see he begins to get these things. He gets into the, uh, the five Levitical offerings, how those show the one perfect offering of Jesus. And he gets into even the clothing of the high priest and it shows that he was our, actually our perfect representative by what those things, uh, what those things meant. He, got, he would have gone into typology. Typology is when someone is a picture or a representative. Put it this way. Typology is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth. And you begin to look at the story of Joseph. He was rejected by his own Jewish brothers. So was Jesus. He became the bread of life to the Gentile world and he even married a Gentile bride. Perfect picture of Jesus there. They didn't have a New Testament back then. They were living the New Testament back then. All they had was the Old Testament. And it's interesting. Jesus restrains their eyes so that they can't understand. Why on earth would Jesus? They, I mean, Jesus standing right there. He restrains it so that they don't get it. I would propose to you this. Jesus didn't want them to have faith just because they had an experience of him. He wanted them to have, have faith because they saw him in the scriptures. Jim, I wish I were living in the days of Scripture to see Jesus. Jim, I wish Jesus would appear to me. His way for us to see him today is in the Scriptures. And you may have an encounter with Jesus, a vision of Jesus, and someone can talk you out of that. You know, I mean, someone good enough could probably make you think that that was all just in your imagination. But when you see him in the Scriptures and he's unveiled, no one can take that from you. I'm not trying to say you can't have visions. I'm just trying to say the way that Jesus does it today is he wants us to see him in Scriptures. If you don't believe there's a real devil, just try to set aside a time to read the Bible and watch all hell break loose against it. You're going to get a passion to vacuum and clean and just all these other things of everything except to sit there and have unhurried, unfrenzied time with the Lord. Is it just me or does the devil hit you guys that way too? <laughs> My office is never so organized as when I try to sit down and read the Bible. It's like, oh man, this thing's bugging me. I'm going to this here. Remember those Where's Waldo books? Oh, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. You got this goofy guy with a red and white striped hat. Actually, I was looking at a picture of him today, and it actually looked like me in college. I was kind of afraid. I was like, <laughs> like man, no one or another girls want to be around me. Anyway, and so a uh, red and white striped hat, red and white striped shirt. And so they'd kind of be like these detailed picture, but then Waldo would be like hiding behind a tree, you know? And so, so the, the object of the thing was to go on these pages and find Where's Waldo. That's how you study the Old Testament. Where's Jesus? I know he's in here somewhere. Holy Spirit, show me. I'm not intellectually going in there and trying to dig out the goodies. I'm reading it with a surrendered heart with the author of the book, the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, God, unveil Jesus to me. And when you see him, it becomes so exciting. It becomes bread for the day. That's how you read the Bible, searching out all the gems and truths from Genesis to the maps, the whole thing, baby. So it's interesting. What was Jesus' solution for those who were foolish or ignorant and slow to heart to believe? It was for them to see him in the scriptures. Verse 28, and this is continuing the story. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. I love this again. He's like, see you guys later. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. This is the exact same language that he used when he was doing communion. Remember, he blessed it and broke it. And their eyes were opened, 
and then they recognized him. So before, they couldn't see it, okay? Um, They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? We call that Holy Spirit heartburn. When Jesus is unveiled in the scriptures, our hearts will burn within us. But it's interesting, he didn't get, they saw Jesus in the scriptures, but it wasn't until it was in light of the new covenant, the breaking of the bread, that their eyes were opened. It's interesting, the word Emmaus, they were walking uh, towards the city of Emmaus. The Hebrew word means burning place. It's interesting, they had burning hearts in the burning place. It's interesting. Uh, here's the difference between Old Covenant preaching and New Covenant preaching. I bet you've experienced both. Hopefully only one here, but uh, we're all working on it here. Uh, New Covenant preaching seeks to unveil Jesus and qualify you by the blood of Jesus. Old Covenant preaching comes to unveil your faults and bring your sins to remembrance and disqualify you from entering God's presence and enjoying his blessings. Guys, that's a real quick test to see what kind of preaching you're sitting under. It's also a real quick test to see how you're viewing yourself. Oh, yeah, them preachers, them preachers. No, it's actually about you, too. Are you seeing yourself as qualified? No distance, no separation? Or are you seeing yourself as needing to do something to get on God's good side? Which side of the cross are you on when you're approaching him? When you're focused on yourself, you're going to find faults. (laughs) How many of you guys have ever gone into introspection and came out joyful? Like, oh, it's so good in there. It's just awesome. You're welcome. You're like, no one's doing that. But when you focus on Jesus, what do you find? You find perfection. You find perfect sacrifice, beauty, more than enough. I'm welcomed, no distance, no separation. Listen, the devil wants you to keep uh, uh, sin conscious. He wants you to be self-conscious. He keeps telling you, you need to look at every thought. You need to guard every word. You need to look at every deed. And he's continually getting you to focus that. That ain't going to help. That puts you under the old covenant law. Even when you've done something right, the enemy's going to come and say someone else is doing something more. Now you read five chapters. You might even get anything out of them. You need to read, you need to read ten. You didn't confess every sin. I think you, I think you forgot a couple. God wants you Jesus conscious who he is, his titles, his work, his perfection. Why? Because all that he is, God has set that into your account. And when it becomes unveiled and I see it, ah, now it's mine. Fortunately, a lot of Christians, they fall into the trap thinking God is looking at them based on who they are and what they've done. Guys, the moment you think like that, you're under the law. When you feel condemned for not doing more, not doing better, not doing anything at all, what happens? You've placed yourself under the law. But under the new covenant, what do we do? We look at what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, I've got access to the throne. I've got access to wisdom. I've got access to strength. I'm telling you how to read the Old Testament, but I want you to, so this gives us clues into the New Testament. When you see the commands in the New Testament, you're never supposed to try to do them in your own strength. It's now Christ expressing his life through me. Now you're saying, oh, wow, I can do this now. Because with the command comes the grace to empower. Grace means God's empowering presence to enable you to do what you can't do in your own strength. So we're even reading the New Testament different when he says, like, hey, put off falsehoods, you know, love your wives, honor your husbands, all these things. Those aren't commands that we go, okay, now I've got to try try really. No, no, no. He's saying, hey, here's what you can do now with my strength. You're like, wow, that sounds good. 
The Pharisees, they studied the Bible. They memorized the Bible more than anyone in here. But they couldn't see the word of God in the flesh when he was standing right in front of their face. I love this quote from Smith Wigglesworth. Just so you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So this, I'll make this quote a little, make a little more sense. He was a great healing revivalist from the last century. Some people read their Bible in Hebrew, some in Greek. I like to read mine in the Holy Ghost. I like that. It's about seeing Jesus. Because from him comes every supply and every provision. It's interesting, uh, the, this story of Peter, he's, uh, you know, there's, they're in the wind and the waves, and they're in the boat, and Jesus is walking in the water, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I want to come out there. And what happens, as long as he's got his eyes on Jesus, he's doing something supernatural. He's walking on water. But as soon as he gets his eyes off of Jesus and starts getting his wind on the wind, the waves, the stress, all the circumstance, he begins to sink. It's a pretty good lesson there. Okay, now that hopefully I've got you excited to see Jesus in the scriptures in the Old Testament, can we look at two examples? Or you could say no and leave. I don't know. We'll just judge you if you do that. If anyone leaves, can you get the camera on them? We can just follow them out. Everyone's like, I was just about to go to the bathroom. Okay, so we're going to look at typology here. Remember, a typology, again, is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. So we're going to look at a typology. So turn me to Numbers 21. I bet you didn't think we'd be going into Numbers 21 on Christmas Sunday, did you? Here's the context. The children of Israel, they're journeying out of, the, they're journeying out of uh, slavery in Egypt. They're in the uh, middle of the wilderness, headed towards the Promised Land. Okay, so this is uh, Numbers 21. We're going to begin in verse 4. I'll be reading from the New King James. Verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food and there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Oh, those Israelites. Can you imagine? God delivers them out of this life of conscripted labor, like slave labor, hard labor, hot sun. You know, Egypt wasn't exactly 70 degrees with a balmy breeze, you know, you know, and so they're, they're, they're in slavery. You know, he sends the pillar of fire to protect them from the Egyptians, and he opens up the, the sea. They're delivered, all these things. And instead of being thankful, they complained that the manna God was giving them was worthless bread. The implication, it was of little value. It didn't really satisfy me. According to David in the Psalms, Psalm 78, he says that manna was angel's food. They're literally eating angel's food cake, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, I don't know about you. That is... That and cheesecake are my favorite desserts, but I'm off of sugar. Anyway, it was sugar-free angel food cake, and it tasted like it had sugar in it. And they're complaining. It was so good, this food, that it sustained the Israelites for 40 years in the desert, and they had no sickness. Their feet didn't swell. <laughs> there was none sick among them. I mean... You heard of Breakfast of Champions. This is breakfast, lunch, and dinner of champions that kept them free from sickness for four decades. And it descended daily from heaven. All they had to do was collect enough for each day, and yet they despised it as worthless bread. We're going to see here in a moment, Jesus is like, hey, that bread that came down from heaven, that was actually me. I want you to see here, guys, there's a danger of the church treating Jesus as worthless bread. The manna, that, uh, the manna that God gave him was, was a picture type of Jesus. Listen to John 6, 48. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. 
Oh, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, speaking of himself. Guys, we have to be careful. When we underemphasize Jesus and overemphasize doctrines and right beliefs and principles that you can get out of the word, Jesus can be treated as worthless bread. Principles without the prince is more like witchcraft than kingdom. Guys, it's okay to teach on financial principles and keys to wisdom and leadership. Listen, we do that, we do that here. But anyone who doesn't focus on Christ, Christ and his finished work lacks the wisdom of God and lacks the power of God. You won't have any power to do those principles. All right? Jesus is the true bread from heaven and the only one that satisfies. Interesting, one more thing. The, uh, the Israelites, they had to collect the manna fresh every single morning. Why would he do that? It's interesting. If it, um, if it went overnight, the bread got stale and then began to breed worms. Like, I'm not even sure how that happens. That is just nasty. Why, did, why didn't God just give them a week's supply of manna? Because God wants you to open the scriptures every day to collect fresh manna from Jesus. He doesn't just want you to live on past and stale revelations from Jesus. You got time for one more? You're like, yeah, I'm not getting that camera put on me. Yeah. <laughs> when the Israelites were in the desert, they, uh, we, we, they're murmuring and they're complaining against Moses, their leader. They, just, they, they were just doing that. And it says this, the Lord sent fiery serpents. <laughs> Remember, this is the old covenant. Okay, the Lord sent fiery serpents and they bit the people and many of the Israelites died. I don't know about you, I hate fiery serpents. Like, I, I just despise them. There's no, there's no, I don't want any of it in my life at all. It sounds like the name of a hot sauce that you do not want to try. Like fiery. These hot sauces are getting out of control, by the way. Like, they're just trying to one-up each other's name, like Satan's crotch. I'm just like, this. stop with the names. But fiery serpents could be one. Now listen, the serpents, they were always there in the wilderness. What God did was he lifted his protection so they weren't protected from these things now. Okay? And it says, uh, so remember, this, remember, again, this is old covenant. Because under the new covenant, he will never lift his hand of protection from us. Okay, you guys get that, right? But back to the story here. So it says the, uh, the people went to Moses, and Moses prayed for the people. And here's what the Lord said. Numbers 21, verse 8. Here's, here's God's instruction. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole... And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. And so Moses makes this, uh, this fiery serpent, but he makes it out of bronze. And I puts it on a pole and said, If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. The bronze serpent on the pole is a picture of Jesus on the cross. We see this in John 3. He's like, hey, just as the serpent in the desert was lifted up and everyone looked at him, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. Okay, so a lot of times the New Testament just goes ahead and gives us the picture, but it's still rich to go back and look at the picture here. You might be wondering, why did Jesus liken himself to a serpent? He is not like a serpent in any single way. Jesus is beautiful, flawless, and perfect. Serpents are nasty, right? Here's the deal. On the cross, Jesus became cursed with the curses that were due to us because of our sin. Remember, he who knew no sin became sin. So on the cross, Jesus became a serpent, a picture of the cursed creature from the garden so that you and I could go free. God turns something that is ugly into a symbol of his grace that is beautiful. That's what happens when you allow his grace to come into your life. He takes ugly things and makes them beautiful. Right, that's good news. 
Why a bronze serpent? Why not like a silver serpent or something like that? Uh, throughout the Bible, bronze speaks of judgment. If you look at Exodus 22, I'm sorry, Exodus 27, when they had the altar of burnt offering, it was to be, it was made out of acacia wood, but it was overlaid with bronze. All the utensils were made out of bronze. So um, when we see Jesus as the bronze serpent, it's to see a picture of God's judgment coming upon Jesus at the cross. Here's the good news. Um, Romans 5 says that you and I will never experience the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus bore it all for us. If you begin to think God's mad at you, you need to look at that serpent and recognize all of God's judgment was poured upon that bronze serpent. God does not want us to look at ourselves, our problems, our sickness, our diseases, what's going on with this world, the Democrats, the Republicans. There was a bronze serpent that was raised on a pole so all of Israel could see it. And Jesus said the same way, he would be lifted up so that all men could see it and be drawn to him. Guys, if you will look on Jesus and see your sins, your curses, your sickness, your problems punished on his body, it says you will be saved. You'll be healed. You'll be delivered. You'll be set free. The Bible does not say look to the law. It says look to Jesus. I'm going to end this the way I started it. Jesus and him crucified is the solution to any problem that you have. And so here's your, uh, here's your response to this. Stop being preoccupied with yourself and what you must do to be on good side because you're just disqualifying yourself. Start being preoccupied with Jesus and what he has done. Start playing Where's Waldo with the Old Testament. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't other lessons to learn and leadership lessons and all those things. I'm not saying there is void of that. But I'm saying hidden within those things is a picture of Jesus. And when we see him more clearly, all the good stuff comes into our life. Search the scriptures for pictures of Jesus on every page and feel your heart burning within you as the Holy Spirit unveils just how beautiful he is. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Some of you today, you need to look to Jesus as your manna. You need strength, you need substance, you need provision. You need something that's going to sustain you for the next four decades. Jesus said, I'm the bread from heaven, feed on that. Some of you need to look at him as the bronze serpent and live. You, your life's a mess, it feels like you've been bitten by the fiery serpent, something is going on. He says, look on Jesus, see him unveiled on that pole. Something needs healed, your finances, relationship, your mind, whatever it might be. He says, if you'll just look on that, you can be healed. Holy Spirit, we need you for this. And Lord, we are excited to go on an adventure with you. God, we are excited to see you on the pages of Scripture. But Lord, I, we, we just look to you today, guys. Just whatever that's, whether you need manna or whether you need to see him as the bronze serpent on the pole, just take time and just begin to, just to rejoice in that fact. Holy Spirit, if they need manna, help them to see you as the manna. You're the one who sustains and strengthens and heals and supernaturally provides. Or make yourself real. And Lord, for those who, uh, boy, they feel like they've been bit by the fiery serpent, we just look to Jesus. We thank you that you were judged so we never have to be. I thank you that everyone that looked on that was completely healed. For those who need a healing in any area of their life, God, we look to Jesus and we say it was enough. You were judged enough. You were punished enough so that we don't ever have to be.
hey, if there's anyone in here and, uh, man, you've never looked to Jesus, you've never trusted him, you've never uh, made him your Lord and Savior, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that today. And so is there anyone in here you're like, man, I, I do not have that, but my heart is actually burning within me. And so I know we maybe got family here or anything like that, but, um, boy, this would be the most important thing you could do. And so is there anybody in here? I'm just going to ask you to be bold because uh, Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So is there anyone in here this morning? You're like, I don't know Jesus, but I want to begin to have that relationship with him. I want, I want to see him more clearly like that. I want, him, I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you, just raise your hand. Is there anybody in here? You do not know Jesus, but you're like, hey, I want to, I want to take that step. Anybody in here? All right. Well, if you didn't respond, our ministry teams will be coming up here in just a moment. You're welcome to come pray with them. It still counts. All right. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand. My Christmas present to you is you are out before one o'clock. <laughs> so you're welcome. So I'm going to we're going to I'm going to be saving that time and I'm going to be using it on another Sunday. And I'm not telling you when. <laughs> but I tell you, what, I, I really uh, I think it'd be fun to just uh, take some of those Old Testament pictures in the next couple weeks and just uh, just preach through those. I was really wanting to do Philippians, but I'm just feeling some real weight on us getting into the word of God without me saying, hey, you need to get in the word of God. You need to read the Bible more. What's wrong with you? Um, that's the law. That doesn't help anybody. And so, but I'm hoping if we can arouse your sweet tooth, if we can pour salt in your tongue and make you thirsty for the things of God. And so I think we're going to take some, uh, some Sundays and just take some of those Old Testament pictures and just look at them and ask the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes. And so I think that'll be a lot of fun. Lord, we love you. We bless you. I bless this, uh, these people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio, or wherever they're from. I know some are, have moved away, but it's good to see you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for boldness. Thank you for a gospel with power. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'd be with us as we're with our family members, that we'd be the most encouraging people in the room. That, God, we would see the gold and not the dirt. God, when they're complaining, that, God, we're going to have such a joy that we know you that it's going to be contagious. I think that each person in here is a thermometer. No, no, a thermostat. And not a thermometer. I decree and declare that, Lord, we are atmosphere changers. Lord, I think that there's going to be healings over the holidays. There's going to be breakthroughs. There's going to be families reconciled. There's going to be hearts that are mended. Lord, we just call those prodigals home to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, the ones who had seeds planted at an early age, and maybe we weren't perfect, but the seed was. And so, God, we just water that thing with our prayers right now, and we just call those prodigals home. God, for those hard-hearted co-workers who have never known you, we just thank you that there's a grace right now for the love of God to sneak past their defenses. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit's already working on them. So, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. We're, you're the best. We love you, Lord. Amen. God bless you guys. You might beat the Baptist to the restaurant. Our ministry teams are coming forward. They'll be the ones that with tags on. We'd love to agree with you in prayer. Bless your uh, children's ministry workers.